text is the gospel lesson from John 16. Back in 1992, when he was running for vice president of the United States, Admiral James Stockdale introduced himself at a debate by famously asking, who am I? Why am I here? And that's when the audience broke out in laughter and applause. It's not a bad question. Who are we? Why are we here? We are here at a particular time and place. It's Sunday morning. We're here in pews along with each other, but it's not exactly a given because we're not here by some kind of compulsion. It's not as if we would be charged a fine if we weren't here. We're not like the man who, if he doesn't show up for work, gets fired. Maybe we're here because God commands it, though I doubt that enters very many minds here this morning. So why are we here and why do so many others throughout the world do the same thing, gathering each Sunday morning? I'm sure it's a question of definition and purpose. The track teams at high schools know that they are meeting together not to watch TV or trade recipes, but to work out for the next meet. The Shepherd's Pantry knows what they're about. We work with them. And when they get together, I'm sure it's because they want better to help those who need food in the community. There's definition and there's purpose. Just think of a group of people meeting together and the group has no name and no purpose. Who are you? What are you meeting for? We could ask them. And they're unlikely to answer our group has no name. We don't really know who we are and we have no idea why we're here. Definition and purpose are very much tied up in a name. And that brings us to the lesson this morning. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. With Jesus, it is always the name that gives definition, that gives purpose. He is named Emmanuel at birth, God with us. He's called the beloved son repeatedly by the voice from heaven. With the name, we know who we are and what we are about in life. It's a remarkable thing, after all. We didn't gather together because we're brilliant enough to figure out that it would be good for us to gather together. Rather, he gathered us, the Lord did. As we learned in the Catechism, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. And in the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. It's good to hear this stuff and rehearse it once in a while. And so we are here Sunday morning, gathered together by the Holy Spirit. Here we are. 
He calls his sheep by name. We heard that two weeks ago. And his name was put upon us when we were baptized into the name. For two or three have been gathered together in my name, he says, there I am in their midst. His name includes the proclamation of who he is, what he's done to save his people, and what he promises them. So now Jesus says to us, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Whatever? Whatever is a big word. So I'll ask the Father in heaven for a new truck, four-wheel drive, three-quarter ton. And I'll ask for Super Bowl tickets this year. And just for good measure, I'll ask for a piece of cherry pie tonight while I'm watching a movie on TV. And as long as I paste the name of Jesus onto the end of that prayer, like adding on some abracadabra hocus pocus, then it's all mine. Somehow, if I say in Jesus' name before the amen, my prayer gets priority clearance at the heavenly switchboard. You think that's true? Not at all. What does in Jesus' name mean then? It means two things. The first is that whatever we ask from the Father, we only have the right to ask because we ask it through Jesus as our mediator. The name Jesus means he saves. It's what he did on the cross, and it's what he does now to bring forgiveness in his word and sacraments. He didn't die for the Dodgers to win, nor for me to have dessert tonight, nor for any other type of success, prosperity, or otherworldly fun that I may be trying to grasp hold of. He died for sins and forgiveness, and the life that comes along with it is the main thing that we have in his name. And so it is that he stands as our great high priest, as he does in John chapter 17, especially we hear that as next Sunday's gospel lesson. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, says Jesus, he will give it to you through me. Now here's the other thing. We have a profession that we pay to speak in our name. What's that? Lawyers, that's right, attorneys. We have a lawyer speak in court for us the way we would speak if only we knew the law. A lawyer or a diplomat or anyone else speaking in your name is obliged to speak the way that you would. That's how things work. So even if your attorney suspects that you are really and truly guilty, he still has to make your case the way you would, for he speaks in your name. In the same way, if we speak in Jesus' name, we speak the way that he would speak. We will then speak according to God's will. We will then speak in faith, trusting and believing God for his answer, if we speak the way that Jesus would. In a fine twist of irony, we have an advocate, it tells us, Jesus Christ, tells us that in Hebrews, who invites us to speak in his name. And so we ask for all the things of the name. Forgive us our sins, we ask. 
and the Father forgives. Cleanse us, we ask. We're in a dirty world, a world of neighbor accusing neighbor, a world of fear and despair. Cleanse us of all this, we ask. Give us the Holy Spirit, we ask. And the Father sends the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies. Rescue us from the evil one. Give us wisdom, courage, generosity, patience, and whatever else we know is according to God's will, for they are the type of things for which Jesus would ask, and the Father gives them in the name of his Son. For example, didn't James say in his letter that if we lack wisdom, we have only to ask, and the Father will give it to us as we ask in faith? And faith knows that we will receive, because faith knows that it is asking, as Jesus would, for what the Father wants to give to us. And this is the key to the last part of the Gospel lesson. Jesus says in verse 33, I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace. This may sound a little too otherworldly or idealistic, but Jesus is certainly a realist. He knows what's up with us, as he says in the next sentence. In the world you have tribulation. We could translate this several ways, including it's plenty stressful out there in the world. That's certainly true. You don't need me to tell you that. It's then, in the common circumstances of our lives that can be so stressful for us, it's then that we need to be reminded of what Jesus said. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. When God has sweated the big stuff on the cross, the little stuff that eats away at our peace can be left to take care of itself. When we have forgiveness and eternal life, what else really matters? We're not simply puppets, puppets forever jerked around by our emotions. Christ is in control. As we trust him, we have peace. We now have peace in Christ. And yet, as Jesus told his disciples, we also have tribulation. There is now and there is not yet to the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke to his disciples of a coming day and a coming hour when what we know would no longer be by analogy as it is now, but the Father would be known plainly, when Jesus would no longer be the intermediary of their prayers, but they would be able to deal directly with the Father. And they said, ah, now you're speaking plainly, and we know you know all things, and we believe you. And Jesus looked at them and said, really? Not quite that, but close. Really, do you think you now believe? No, the hour has come when you will scatter and hide and leave me all alone. That's how great your faith is. So get your eyes off yourselves and look to me. In me you have peace, but only in me. In the world in which you live, you will have trouble and heartache and sorrow, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The death and resurrection of Jesus have overcome the world. The crucified and risen Lord Jesus now reigns over all things, even though all things do not yet appear to be under his reign. 
God wishes to leave the old and dying in place even as he brings the new and alive. He allows the city of man to decay and collapse under its own idolatries even as his city, New Jerusalem, comes down from heaven glorious as a bride on her wedding day. The sufferings of the present, together with all the doubts and ambiguities of living by faith and not by sight, do not compare with the glory that will be revealed on that day when we see what we now must believe and know by faith alone. Then we will know in full, St. Paul told us, what we now can only experience in part dimly. Then we will see what we now must believe. Then every prayer, every petition, every supplication uttered in the name of Jesus will find their yes, their amen in him. It is as sure as Jesus risen from the dead is sure. It is as sure as the word of Christ spoken to you is sure. Whoever has a past anchored in the death of Jesus, a present lived in baptismal faith, has also a future filled with joy and peace in the light of Christ, the one who was and is and is to come who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as we look to him, come to him, pray in his name as he would. The Father answers, for Christ is our mediator, our intercessor, our advocate. And he has said that so that in him we might have peace. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, through life everlasting. Amen.